This is the Savvy Parent Podcast, where lawyer and financial planning expert Shannon McNulty and her guests share tips on how to make smart legal and financial decisions for your family. On this episode of the Savvy Parent Podcast, we're joined by Stacy Gordon, Program Director, Next Phase, Adult Caregiving and Retirement at NYU's Work Life. She joined Shannon for a conversation about how to support our parents as they get older from a physical, mental, and emotional perspective. Stacy helps reframe the conversation around aging and gives insight on how to talk with your parents about difficult topics. As parents, you're likely focused on your own future and planning and may have questions about how to support your parents too. We have lots of insight and advice on aging and supporting your parents on the episode. Enjoy. Stacy, we are so excited. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sarah. I'm really excited to be here today. Absolutely. And Shannon is always welcome back. Thanks, Sarah. So great to be here and talking to Stacy. So Stacy, again, welcome to the show. Let's start out with you telling us a bit about your work experiences and your knowledge that's going to help inform today's conversation. Sure. Okay. I was trained as a social worker and worked in community health settings for a number of years prior to starting my own private geriatric care management practice. Geriatric care management at that point was a relatively new field. Um, and I started out um, thinking with families about um, how to help care for their older loved ones. And um, I created a practice in New York City, and then another practice in Chicago, and then another practice in Israel. And then we came back to New York, and I decided to sort of ground myself here and actually left the field of care management for a while. And now I'm currently a doctoral student at NYU Silver, um, getting my doctorate in social work. And I'm also the program director for adult caregiving, aging, and retirement at NYU in the Department of Work Life. So you have a lot of experiences that are going to help inform this conversation. And Shannon, why was it so important that we had Stacy on today? Well, so many parents are also not only taking care of their kids, but also are starting to take care of their parents, or if they're not already, then kind of preparing and having to kind of be on the lookout for when parents need help and what kind of help to give them and where to go to get that help. And so this is just something that's that so many um, parents are, are dealing with. And uh, I, I'd love to get, if you can talk a little bit more, Stacey, about what exactly a geriatric care manager is, because I don't know that our listeners are familiar with what that concept is. Sure. Geriatric care management is a field of service that is mainly comprised of social workers, psychologists, and nurses. And um, it was created to sort of serve as the go-between, the connective tissue between, let's say, the different service areas that older people use in when they need care. So for example, geriatric care managers would help w- w- help fr- when someone is being discharged from a hospital and need to go ho- need they need to go home with home care. The geriatric care manager will help find the home care and then create a plan for the caregivers, play to create a plan for the older person when they're in their home. And then work ongoing, making sure that their plan is actually working and checking in with the family and with the older person to make sure that everyone's on the same page and that, um, and that the older person's needs are being met. 
So they kind of coordinate a lot of different aspects of the care. Care managers are coordinators, they're, uh, they're counselors, they are, they refer to multiple resources. Um, and they really, it's, it's the care manager's job to make sure that they know the resources in the community. They know the best home care agencies or caregivers if they're referring to people who are, um, who are in the community and not based in an agency. Oftentimes care managers know the best nursing homes, the best assisted living facilities, and they can make recommendations based on the needs of the older person and the family, um, and also on the financial situation of the older person and the family. I love it. You're you're diving right in. You're already getting into it. So we talked on a previous episode about estate planning and how we can assist our parents and have conversations around that. So Stacy, what are some of the main areas that we and our parents should be thinking about in order to really provide the kind of help our parents may need as they get older? Okay. So there's a there's a saying in social work that is um begin where the client is. And in this case, the client is really the older person. Even though there's a, you know, an adult child involved, the real gist of of um of helping an older person is actually to see what it is that they want, what their needs are, and how to meet those needs. Because once their needs are met, generally the family members will also feel like their needs are met as well, right? So we sort of have, you know, you know, the term sandwich generation, right? So we're, you know, adult children are dealing with people who are younger and older and sort of balancing in between. And if one, it's sort of like, you know, a seesaw, if one end of the seesaw is really out of whack, then the middle, the middleman, the, 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 the ballast or the adult child will have to really balance between the two, their, their young children or their children and their older loved ones. So the, so the goal is to really think about what it is that will help the adult parent with whatever need there there is. So all of this begins with a conversation. And I suggest actually that if you have questions about what's going on with your older loved ones, think about scheduling time to have a conversation without distractions. If you can, I mean, now during COVID, it's hard. Usually I recommend outside of the home, but right now it's super hard to do that. So maybe in the home, but with no distractions and really think about, you know, how, what think about asking questions from your parents' perspective. What do they want? Where do they see themselves? How do they see themselves growing older? If there are issues already, how do they see their care? Is it going well or are there issues with their care? Do they need to maybe switch medical practitioners? Do they need to, you know, find care for themselves in the home? Do they need to see another law attorney? Really, I, you know, people have a really hard time asking those, those questions that maybe take people out of their comfort zone. But here's the actually great thing about asking those questions is that you'll become more comfortable once those answers come out into the open. And so it's really sort of taking a dive and jumping into the situation rather than avoiding it. That will, that's really the best way to start helping your older parents. I think that's a great approach because a lot of times we think of it as I'm going to have to step in and help, but this is a slightly different perspective of, of asking where they're at and, and what they need. So 
really part of what I'm hearing is we should do this more proactively than reactively waiting till it feels like there's a big health problem or uh, something that we need to dive into. So yes, we want to have these proactive conversations. Are there things that we should wait reactively until parents really need help on something? We're seeing signs of, of maybe mental health going down or cognitive health. I guess, how much should we do proactively and, and what should be reactive, if anything? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I think that we should be proactive about mental health. Let's say if you see, you know, mom or dad slipping, if you feel that they're depressed, if you have signs that they're sleeping too much or they're, they're not eating or eating too much, or they're, you know, they're really, you know, troubled about something, then I always say to be, pre, to be proactive and to ask those questions, you know, what's going on? I see that there are some changes in your life and in your behavior. And, you know, and I would like you to, rather than diagnosing them yourself, I always say, suggest going to the doctor. And I'm not talking about a therapist, suggest going to get a checkup. Because oftentimes with older people, there are mental health changes, mental status changes with minor illnesses like a urinary tract infection. So, uh, you know, I am running a support group now for NYU um, faculty members and administrators. And several of the, of the members of the group have brought to the group these subtle changes where their parents are just behaving in a way that's different all of a sudden. And every time, you know, every time I always say the first thing to do is go to the doctor and have the doctor so have the doctor take a urine sample and see if there's a urinary tract infection. It's something so simple, but most times, you know, family members become so sort of anxious about the changes, changes that they see in their parents' behavior that they'll, they'll overlook actually saying, you know, it's only been since like two weeks ago that my mother started behaving in a, in a way that's different. And so, and they'll sort of jump ahead to, oh no, perhaps this is the beginning of Alzheimer's or another disease that causes dementia. So what I say is always go to the doctor first and let the doctor do that, you know, sort of check up and check out what's going on. I love that. You basically answered my next question, which is the areas that you help people think about that we might not necessarily think about. Like, yes, go to the doctor, but specifically around even tests that that should be done. Um, are there other areas that you have helped families with that maybe are a little unexpected that that they don't naturally think about? You know, I think that one thing that um, one thing that I, you know, I'm sort of, you know, working on in my own doctoral work that I think is really important for families to understand at this point is that we're all subject to negative attitudes about growing older. And those negative attitudes that we may, that we may unknowingly project onto our family members, onto our parents, and even onto ourselves, and that take the form of, um, of, you know, sort of negative stereotypes about aging, for example. So someone might make fun of their parent in a very loving way about like how they're not hearing well or how they can't see very well anymore. They always need their glasses. But what we know is actually there's that that actually is detrimental to the older adult and actually to the younger adult because that's a stereotype that we um, that 
that plays on our own implicit sense of aging. So if we, and, and there are negative consequences to internalizing stereotypes, right? And the negative consequences that we know of at this point are really, really serious. So if people think that growing older is a time of, um, of challenge and a time where there's sort of nothing good to come of it and you know they have sort of a zero sum attitude, they are actually, and this is actually research, this is evidence based on research, they actually lose on average seven and a half years of life. So if they have a negative attitude about aging, if people have a positive attitude on aging, on, on growing older, and can actually think about and plan for growing older in a positive way, they can gain up to seven and a half years. And this is a st- this is based on studies by credible sources in you know in universities. And so the negative consequences of ageism, of negative stereotypes, are very severe. So it's sort of you know. It's sort of a reframe and it turns, you know, those sort of little slights and those sort small conversations that we might really not think about so much on their head. And, you know, just sort of a, a warning that, you know, we should be more careful. Yeah. And as we get into kind of these practical steps that we can take with our parents to support them and learn about where they're at and the decisions that we ultimately want to make together, it's really important to consider what we bring to the table and how we have those conversations. So we mentioned COVID and how it's so hard to see our loved ones just in general these days. But do you have advice for listeners who are far away from their parents who can't physically get there or maybe don't get to interact with them as much as they would like to in terms of having these conversations and figuring out the care that they may or may not need? Yeah, I do. Um, first of all, I want to say that um, for everyone, COVID has been, you know, sort of this crazy time. But for older adults in particular, COVID has been a time where older adults have had sort of a hard reset button pushed for them. So I hear um, stories about older people who aren't thriving. We all do. We hear these negative horror stories about about you know, body bags piling up outside of nursing homes and um, people dying on their own and without ever, you know, saying goodbye or seeing their older loved ones. And this is, I, I just want to acknowledge how sad this time is, is and has been. And actually, I, I believe that, you know, once COVID sort of is, um, is over or starts to really um, lessen, we're all going to deal with the sort of repercussions of these, you know, of, of the fallout of grief that people are feeling. And so, um, and even though, you know, even if your story feels sad, there's always like a sadder story from someone else's family. So that's definitely just something to acknowledge for family members in particular, whose older loved ones are far away because there's such a, you know, it, there's such a feeling of helplessness when you can't be there. And even if you're close, if you can't be there. And I think that's something that caregivers from afar have actually had in common for the first time with caregivers who are close by because no one can visit their older loved ones in the hospital. No one can say goodbye in the way that they want to do that. So, you know, some advice that I have if you're a caregiver from afar is actually to think about contingency plans. For example, get the names and telephone numbers of your of your older parents, 
friends, anyone like their doctor and a home caregiver, make sure you're connected to, to your parent at this point in, the, you know, in an intimate way in terms of like knowing who to call if they are in trouble. Do they have a hospital they're familiar with that they prefer and a doctor that they rely upon? And is there a home care agency in their neighborhood? It's a really good idea to look these things up now and to write down this information so that if you need it, you'll have it at your fingertips. Now, whether your parents are close by or not, if you feel that maybe there is a health concern and you've suggested that they go to the doctor or asked if they've gone recently, or you feel like maybe they're not taking as good of care of themselves as they could, or their decisions aren't as good as they could be, what are your thoughts on how to respectfully and lovingly support them through this? Yeah, that's a really great question, Sarah. And I I think that, you know, many people are in this situation and and they could also, you know, they could have already broached the situation and their family is, you know, their loved one is resistant to what they're, you know, what they're suggesting. I don't believe in forcing anyone to get care unless unless they're sort of harming themselves um, or someone else. So so what does that mean? It means that sometimes you have to watch your older loved one fall and it could be literally fall before they accept care. I mean, I actually, I I can tell you a story about um, when I was a care manager in the um, early 2000s, I had a, a family member call me who really wanted me to go and do an assessment of, of her older mother. I went in on a rainy day and um, I had my umbrella by my side and I walked, I walked, the woman opened the door and she had her umbrella that was clearly by her door. And she lifted her umbrella up and she said, don't you dare take a step in. I didn't want you to come. My daughter wants you to come get out. And that was a very clear sign. And she actually hit me with the umbrella. It was a really clear sign that that was not, this was not going to work. So I always say, listen, know your parents, get to know what they can tolerate. If they can tolerate a stranger coming in, even if you have had like a great introduction, even if you've spoken with them on the phone and set the appointment, if they can tolerate that stranger coming in, great. But if you know that they can't, don't set them up to fail. Because what you want to do is you want to, sort of like parenting, you want to set up a series of successes. So you want to start really slowly. So again, you start with a conversation and the conversation could just be, mom, I'm concerned about you. Can you tell me, you know, sort of what you think about what's going on? Because I see this. Is this what you see? And then based on what mom says, you can go a little further. So if you're seeing this also, mom, does it concern you? Because it concerns me. And then you take baby steps. You could, after a while, suggest, you know, after mom has fallen, for example, you could, for example, say, now is the time to get a caregiver and just to check it out because I can't, I'm working and I can't always be there. And I really want you to get the help that you need. And again, it's really, I use a very non-coercive approach because, because coercion doesn't help in any situation. It might help if the, it might help to get the doctor on board. 
even to get the attorney on board or some other friend or a professional that your parents trust. But then there are, you know, there are um, confidentiality issues and you always want to make sure that you're not saying too much about mom or dad because you don't want to embarrass them and you don't want to break confidentiality because the confidentiality is all part of the, you know, a part of your intimacy with them, but also part of the way that you'll get them on sort of to think more broadly about what the options are for care. Yeah. So part of what I'm really hearing is to help protect the relationship as your parents continue to grow older and really as you try to support them. Now, Shannon, from uh, an estate planning perspective, a legal perspective, what do our listeners need to be aware of as our parents get older? And we may be stepping in in some ways to help support them. So you want to make sure that they have all of their, at least their very basic uh, estate planning documents in place. And This is both for their own good, um, to make sure that they are protected, that the people who they are choosing are the ones who are making decisions for them. And also it's self-protective because if those uh, plans aren't made, then you're the one trying to figure out what to do and and what should be done and and what, what they would want. So, uh, so it's really just good all around to make sure that those documents in place and are in place and, you know, and you can even use sometimes, and I think that Stacy gives some great examples of language to use to try to um, broach these difficult subjects. But, you know, I think it, it also can just be about, you know, what am, what am I going to like, make it about yourself, not necessarily yours. <laughs> you're, you're worried they're getting older. It's that, you know, what, what's, what do I need to know if God forbid something happens for, to you? And just like anything can happen to you, something can happen to me too, you know? And so, and just like I advise a lot of uh, folks on the younger end of the spectrum about their estate planning documents, just the same, then that's just all the more reason and an easier way, I think, to broach. Say, I, I was just working with my estate planning lawyer. You know, they also asked me, do you have everything in place? And, and that just made me think of, uh, wanted to ask you, you know, do you have everything? And and so I think that's a great way to to deal with it. But, but you really want to also, in addition to their documents, have a discussion with them about, you know, financially, if you're comfortable, if they're comfortable with it. If they're not comfortable with some of these things, just make sure that they have help. So if they don't want to speak with uh, about their finances with you, say, okay, I understand that, but who are you speaking with about these things? Are you getting professional advice? And if you can make sure that they're, being, they're consulting someone who is able to give them good advice, then that can just make you feel a lot better that, that that's being taken care of and you don't necessarily need to know all of those things. And the same with their estate planning documents. You know, sure, you know, if they feel comfortable telling you, we want you to be our executor or our healthcare proxy or whoever, but maybe they don't feel comfortable telling you that. So, because maybe they're choosing, you know, they're your sister and that's going to make you think you're going to be offended. (laughs) So, um, so just making sure that they are working with an estate planning lawyer, see if you can get the contact information for that lawyer or the financial advisor, just in case. So if something did happen, then you know who it is to call. I always say that, um, that parents should tell their adult children where their estate plan planning documents are, even if they don't want them to look at them. 
you know, they can just give them, you know, send them an email at some point and say, this is to look at, you know, when it's, when it's necessary and, you know, under what circumstances. And, um, and, you know, my, my planning documents are in my study on the bottom shelf on the left and they're in a white binder. So, you know, rather than actually, I mean, the, the best case scenario is that the, the parents will go through the documents with you so that you know what will be, you know, what, what they want. And you can have a conversation with them about that, about, you know, sort of exactly what it is that they're thinking and, and, um, and planning for themselves. But in this scenario where they really are in denial that like they'll ever have to use them or they don't want you to know what it is that they want, because maybe they think that you're not going to follow them just sort of leaving a, leaving some clues about where, where the planning documents are is a good idea. Absolutely. I think that's, that's great advice. It is so important to just know where those documents are. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you don't know what's in them at the bare minimum, do they exist and where can I find them in the event that we ultimately need them? So Stacey, you've shared so much great information. What's a final takeaway or two that you would like our listeners to really just understand or anything we haven't touched on yet that's important for them to know? I think that, um, you know, convincing parents um, or convincing yourself even to plan for the unknown, which is aging, um, is complicated, right? So planning for aging is definitely complicated and takes a lot of sort of openness to the idea that growing older is going to happen regardless of whether we want it to. Um, and so having that conversation with your parents about sort of where they see themselves, how they want to grow old, the fourth, asking the forthright difficult questions about how they plan to pay for their care if they should need it, at what point they would want to have care, whether or not they've purchased or should purchase long-term care insurance, whether or not they've done advanced directives or should do advanced directives, you know, sort of all of these pieces are part of, you know, sort of creating a long-term plan for growing older. They're not really for an emergency, they're for now. And they're for sort of as the parents grow older so that, you know, they, they can be thoughtful about what it is that they want rather than have someone else take over their needs in the future if they haven't planned. Well, as always, at the end of these episodes, I feel like we have a to-do list of of things to do or to talk (laughs) about. So Stacey, thank you so much for a lot of really actionable advice today. You're welcome, Sarah. And Shannon, thank you as always. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you again to Stacey Gordon for joining us and helping us understand more about supporting our parents as they age. If you'd like more legal and financial planning information and to join our free community, visit us at thesavvyparent.us.